0: Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network,
1: its staff, and management.
2: You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner.
1: Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate, and today I want to talk about how your current work situation is working out for you and maybe how it's not. The ways that we work have been profoundly changing as a result of technology advancements in the past 30 years. Some of these changes have made things a lot easier for us, and some changes have actually complicated things even further. Today, we'll be discussing on our show the growing momentum and the business case for greater flexibility in the workplace. I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Kathleen Christensen, a pioneer in this field, to discuss this topic. Dr. Christensen is a program director at the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation in New York. At the foundation, she has established the Workplace, Workforce, and Working Families Program. Her research pioneered the field of work family issues and workplace flexibility, and her expertise has been featured in the Washington Post, in the Chicago Tribune, and the Huffington Post, to name just a couple of places. She's published many books, including most recently, Workplace Flexibility, Realigning 20th Century Jobs for a 21st Century Workforce. Among numerous other awards, she's been named by Working Mother Magazine as one of the seven wonders of the work-life field. I think that's a fabulous award to win. Kathleen, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, Kate. I'm, I'm delighted to be here today.
1: Well, it's been actually uh, fun, uh, Kathleen, to just even read your... Um, history of of your work and your accomplishments and to think about um, the topic of flexible work, which is so near and dear to so many of us. Um, Before we dive in, could you tell us just a little bit more about your background and and how you got so interested in this, this issue such that you became really a front thinker on it?
3: Sure. Um, In the early 80s, I was a a newly minted professor of psychology, and I was very much interested, and probably in part because of personal interest, but I was very much interested in how this really first generation of working professional women were handling the dual responsibilities of work and the family when they started having children. And so I started... um, a relationship with Family Circle Magazine and did a survey on women who worked in their homes. And we got the largest non-organized response that Family Circle had ever seen. 14,000 women responded. And what really blew me away was that 11,000 of these women said they wanted to talk. They wanted to really talk about what it was like for them uh, in balancing work and family, but also more specifically what it was like to work at home. So I traveled around the country interviewing well over a 100 women in their homes, learned a lot about what they were doing, but walked away with this very clear sense that for many of these women, if not most of them, The reason why they were working at home, starting their own businesses at home, was because they could not get the flexibility they wanted or they needed in the the business workplace. And that includes both for-profits and not-for-profits. And so they were trying to gain more control over when, where, and how they worked by starting their own businesses. And although the majority were working mothers, I heard this story from women across the life course. I heard it from women who were older, whose husbands were retired, who the husbands wanted the women to stop working. These women were not ready to stop working. And by starting a business at home, they could have more flexibility. I heard it from women at all ages who had elder care, and in many cases elder care and child care responsibilities. And they found that, again, they needed more flexibility. So that really, those those experiences of talking in depth to these women, looking at the 14,000 who responded, really had a, a searing impact on me, and uh, a growing realization with a growing realization that women really needed and wanted more flexibility in how, when, and where they worked. Um, and, but it. As time went on, it was clear it wasn't just women. It was people Mm -hmm. with disabilities. It was people who wanted to practice their religion. Mm -hmm. It was um, members of the military or the returning military who in many cases had health issues. So that flexibility really became an issue that was a defining issue for men and women across the life course.
1: You know that 's so well said, and I, it really is consistent with what I see in the work that I do in the workplace with men and women with women and men i 'll say um, and certainly I, I think you just described it as a defining issue it certainly's been the defining issue for you what What grabs you about this? What makes you passionate about this Kathleen?
3: I think people have so much potential and they want to succeed. they want to succeed at work. they want to be able to give it their all, but they also want to succeed in their their private lives and the structure of the workplace that really demands um, people showing up, the sense of presenteeism or face time is really counterproductive for many people in the sense that if they could just alter the beginning or the, the start time or the end time of their days, if they could work a full-time week in four days as opposed to five days, if they can afford to and can cut back hours, they feel that they will be much better able to be that equally successful person that they want to be. And, and so I guess at heart is the sense that people... I have great faith in people's positive orientation in their lives, their ability and, and desire to really be successful in every sphere. And so it is frustrating to me to see situations that basically impede that success as opposed to facilitate it.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I like how you said that, and I can tell this listening to you how committed you really are to that. And I wonder, you know, when we think about this, you know, really capable, talented people who really want to be working and in the workplace but are finding that the um, the, the requirement of being, you know, present at particular hours of the day, let's just say 9 to 5, or often it's much longer than that, really, it really interferes. It almost sounds like you're saying, You know, let's redefine success. Let's redefine work and let's redefine what a successful work could look like. Is
3: that true? I would say that is true. I would say let's redefine success in general. Um, I think that for, particularly we see for the millennials and the younger generations, um, they've watched their parents. They've seen, in many cases, their parents give everything to their job, sacrificing a great deal at home and family. And then face being laid off, as happened to so many people, particularly men in the Great Re- uh, the great Recession. So I think people are saying I want to, to give it all at work, but work is not all that there is to my life, and I want to be able to have a life that's satisfying in a number of dimensions. And the, the irony is that if people can, if employees do have more of an option to control when they work or how many hours they work, and employers recognize that by enabling that, they're going to get a much more engaged and ultimately a more productive workforce than if they continue to have this emphasis on face time and rigid work hours. Hmm.
1: That's interesting. So you're saying that, you know, employers who are willing to allow flexible work gain loyalty in exchange, and it, and it seems to me that in conversations I've heard over the years, there's sometimes an um, uh, apprehension that if we give them the flexibility, well, you know, they'll who knows what they'll be doing at home or wherever they are we we, may, we can't control that you know you're saying it has
3: the opposite effect from the the research and the case studies that we've supported it really does have the opposite effect if both people enter into the ar- arrangement with good faith that that there is a business case to be made for them having flexibility and that they really are committed to to, to getting the work done and to getting it done in the best way possible. Yeah, so I mean, it's com- not an. I mean, the problem is, is if flexibility is seen as an entitlement where mm-hmm. people just think, oh, I can just work whenever I want, that can really backfire for not only that person, but for other people on that work site. So it really needs to be an arrangement a flexible arrangement that has something in it for both the employer and the employee. If it's too one sided, it will not be an effective arrangement.
1: Yes, that's a really good point. And I think you're you know, I like how what you just said about, you know, under for the employee not to see flexibility as an entitlement, but actually to make sure that it's actually working for the employer, just as the employer takes the um, measure to to allow for flexibility, having faith that the work is going to get done and maybe even get done um, with an even greater commitment. Um, I'm wondering, Kathleen, we just have a few minutes before we take our first break, but this is not a new subject. I mean, I remember this topic from, you know, decades ago um, as, as a hot topic, and yet it seems to be coming into the fore. Could you just give us a brief history of, the, of flexible work and connect us to the current trends?
3: The the notion of, of flex time, which is the basic fundamental block of flexibility, really uh, started in Germany many, many decades ago, and it was adopted in the United States initially um, by the federal government, and so the federal government in the 70s was actually supporting research on the effectiveness of flexibility in terms of business outcomes, and employee outcomes. So we're really going back probably fifty years for uh the, the initial roots of when people began to think about flexibility. I would say that there was real there began to be interest in the early nineties um, as a parallel to a concern a growing concern about uh child care and the provision of childcare. But that only in the last probably seven or eight years has this really been an issue that's getting much more on the public agenda
1: and and you know as as, as the agenda as the issue becomes more on the public agenda um, you made you made a comment about the millennial generation, you know, seeing their parents working really hard and potentially losing their jobs or, you know, through the Great Recession and just sort of the, maybe the disillusionment with the idea that career is everything or that there's safety and sec- there, there is such thing as a secure job. Um, you know, briefly, can you comment on, on how the millennial generation may be impacting this, this, this issue right now?
3: From all the the evidence that I've seen, the millennials really do want to have a full life. They want to be able to work hard, but they want to enjoy the other dimensions of their life. And so one way to do that, and that's being supported by uh, the move towards a more global economy, is to have more flexibility in when the hours are that people are working and where they're working, if they're working at home or if they're working at another work site, so that they basically are looking at a life that is not just defined by the nature of work. Um, There's been some concern that this generation may not um, place promotions and advancement as high as as other generations. I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. I just think they're not willing to um, sacrifice all of their life for their work. Well, that's,
1: that's uh, you know, certainly in line with the research that we've been exploring um, at the Nebo Company and also at the Institute for Transformational Leadership around the millennial generation. And uh, it's probably to our benefit that they're putting down this line. So we're going to take our first break. You're listening to Kate Ebner. I'm speaking today with Dr. Kathleen Christensen, and we'll be right back. <music>
0: We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
2: Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's
0: NeboCompany.com. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of leadership development news, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy, with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now, toll free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network.
2: You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to VisionaryLeader at NeboCompany.com. Now, back to today's program.
1: This is Kate. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about a subject that matters to just about everyone, and that subject is workplace flexibility. Dr. Kathleen Christensen is Program Director at the Sloan Foundation, and she's one of the world's premier experts on this topic. She's lent her knowledge and her guidance on workplace issues to the White House, in addition to many organizations and businesses. Kathleen, I'm hoping that you will share with us your vision of the future of work. If everything you are working for were to come to pass, for example, what would work look like as we look out into the future? I'm going to dive right into that vision question. What do you
3: think? First of all, I don't think that there is one vision. I think that um, we will, if if successful, see workplaces, um, whether at individual work sites or in corporate cultures, that really are responsive to the needs of the work but as, as well as the needs of the employees, the workers themselves. Um, i I i am very pleased that uh, for the last eight years, Sloan was able to support um, the Alfa P. Sloan Awards for Business Excellence in Workplace Effectiveness and Flexibility. Um, this year alone, over 300 companies uh, won the award and well over six to 700 applied for the award. And as I said, this award has been administered for the last eight years. And these companies are highly variable. There is no one um, condition that makes them winners, and so when you ask me what's the future, I'd say the future is now. When you look at what these companies are doing, so mm-hmm. they may they may have a paid leave, even though that's not offered in, um, you know, are required by federal law. But more often often than not, what they do is they integrate flexibility into their overall vision of an effective workplace. So they they will work out schedules that meet the employer and employee needs. They will ensure that there's training. They will ensure that um, there is support for workers if they are trying to change da- jobs or, in some cases, um, downshift as they move towards retirement and phased retirement. What we know from uh, survey work that, that Families and Work Institute has done is that the kinds of flexibility that are really growing are ones that involve flex time, um, which, as I said, is a basic building block of flexibility, ones that involve compressed work weeks, working full-time in four days over the course of a week uh, as opposed to five days, um, the ability to uh, to phase down into retirement. Um, what is not growing are those kinds of flexibility that may cost the firm Time and money, such as reduced hour arrangements, um, except for FaceTime, as well as um, uh, um, I'm sorry, just blank, but as well mm-hmm. as any kind of paid leave. Um, Uh The ones that are growing are ones that basically are not costing firms anything. So it's the the flex time, the compressed work week, the telecommuting, um, and the phased retirement, um, which can ensure graceful exits for a firm. So if you ask me what my future vision is, it's Uh one in which there is a concerted effort on the part of employees and employees to define how work can best be done and have as an element of that uh, a greater receptivity throughout the entire Entire culture towards flexibility so that people are not penalized or stigmatized if they do want to work flexible hours.
1: And when you say in this vision, penalized or stigmatized, what you really mean is they're not held back or opportunity limited because of of this choice. Yes. Is that
3: right? Yes, that's right.
1: Yeah. What will it take for us to get to a world where we see this as a more widespread um, phenomenon that we we actually really that 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 we can look out and see employers everywhere really figuring out and really offering these kinds of um, opportunities to employees. What do you think is needed?
3: I would say the fundamental thing that's needed is leadership. And we see that in all the companies that have won the Sloan Awards, that that in each of them there is real leadership that's being exercised within these firms. It could be at the CEO level. It could be at the HR level. It could be in many cases at the level of the immediate supervisor, that they take a hard look at how work is done, and they take a hard look at what's going to keep their employees the, the most engaged that they can be, and they figure out um, – uh a scheduling approach that really works for, for them and getting the work done as well as for all the workers. And it's not a one-size-fits-all. So even though this nine-to-five rigid hours is a one-size-fits-all, there is no one-size-fits-all flexibility. People have different needs, and their needs can change over time. But, what, but they've always got to look at what their needs are in light of what the business needs are.
1: Yeah, you know, that's 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 a you go back to that point again and I think that's where I've seen it break down actually is when um when people's needs are um are you know when people are believing that you know what I need I should be able to have or you know, the my company doesn't offer it, but it's what I need, so I should be able to have it. Um, versus really putting one's needs in the context of what the business can do, what the business right. can, can be, and I, of course, that does require that kind of um, that kind of uh, creative optimization that is going to be customized probably across organizations.
3: For example let's say someone really would like to work a full-time schedule in four days. You know, it's not enough to go in and say, I really need that fifth day because I have to take my mother to the doctor. It's the best time for me to run my errands, and I want to pick up my child at school. All of that, is I'm sure absolutely true and absolutely valid. But that's not going to be sufficient to win support um, for it by your manager or or even HR, which whole Uh philosophy is to find win-wins. What would be needed is for that person to step back and say, okay, if I do work a compressed work week, which means that I will come in instead of at 9 to 5, I'll work, let's say, from... uh, from 7 until 5. And so I'm going to come in two hours earlier. Or I will work from 9 to 7 at night. In other words, working, you know... um, you know, the equivalent of 10-hour days over four days. Well, the argument could be made to one supervisor or to HR is that, like, look, you'll ultimately save on overtime because if I work until 7 o'clock at night, I'm going to be able to man those phones. I'm going to be here in case something shows up um, that needs to get done, so you're not going to have to hire someone to come in. And we saw this work beautifully at Chubb Insurance Claims Processing uh, Office in the Southwest where uh, the, the employees really wanted flexibility and they could not afford any of them to reduce their hours and hence reduce their pay. So they opted for a compressed work week and they, they realized that everyone couldn't take that Friday or a Monday as their day of not working. And so they, they, the team itself worked out an arrangement where everyone worked 40 hours over four days and they varied the days that people would be off and their costs went down. Their, their costs were overtime, their costs related to turnover. People ended up being happy. They felt they were able to get the work done. And moreover, they were able to improve their performance. turnaround times improved, error rates improved, and so it proved to be a real win win for both the, um, the you know the, the employer Chubb and the employees that 's a great
1: um, a great example, and it sounds actually like a very empowered um, group you know as they got to solving the problem. How would a company that wants to do something like this go about it? How do you how do you meet the request of an employee uh, group to move to a flexible process?
3: Well, I think many, many middle managers and direct um, supervisors feel frustrated because they, they may be getting requests from 10 different people on their team to work different hours and and these managers themselves may have really been crunched as a result of the, the recession to trying to do more with fewer workers. So, and what what has worked effectively is not to just have these requests be one-offs, but rather for the team to be, and to use your your term, Kate, empowered to work it out as a team. Okay, so you want flex time? You'd like to be able to come in 20 minutes later and leave 20 minutes later. Okay, you'd like to work a compressed work week. Well, the teams know the nature of their work probably better than anyone else. So, if they feel that they have um, the the authority to really work out schedules, it can be uh, it can have great results.
1: You know, you know, I know we just have a couple more minutes before another break, you know, but I wonder if you could um, give maybe a bit of advice to maybe somebody listening who's thinking, you know, we really need this in our company, you know. How, how, where's this, Where do you go first to start this kind of initiative?
3: Well, I think, you know, the human resources uh community is really taking this issue very seriously. So if someone is in human resources and is a member of the Society for Human Resource Management, um, they will find a wealth of resources there. If, in fact, someone wants to really try and identify what other companies are doing, they would want to look at the Guide to Bold New Ideas, which is available through SHRM. And I'm not plugging it, except to say that that's a got-type guide that gives little uh very short synopses of what all of the now well over a 1,000 firms have done to create flexible workplaces. What I find is that in many cases, and it's, it's, it's everyone, employees, managers, all of us, often suffer from a poverty of imagination. We can't really imagine work being done in a way differently than what it's been done before. Mm-hmm. And so I think anything that can kind of catalyze imagination can get people to think think, oh, that might work for us, um, is very helpful.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, those are wonderful resources you've directed people to. We'll make sure to actually list those in our weekly e-newsletter that comes from the Nebo Company. If anybody is interested in that, please make sure to sign up at nebocompany.com. I'm talking today with Dr. Kathleen Christensen, one of the world's leading experts on flexible work and we're going to be back after this break to talk more about how how the world is changing and what you can do in your situation we'll be right back
2: Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com.
0: Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
2: You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to VisionaryLeader at NeboCompany.com. Now, back to today's program.
1: I'm Kate Ebner, and I'd love to return to our conversation today about workplace flexibility with Dr. Kathleen Christensen. Kathleen, you've um, shared such a fantastic vision for us to really contemplate about, you know, a world of flexible work where it's a win-win, you know, for employers and employees. And I wanted to ask you, you know, I, I guess what, what I've been thinking about during our break is, you know, what, is, what, is the, what are the, really the implications of this, this issue? You know, like if this comes to be in a broad scale, you know, how does it benefit people, what, what will the difference be in how we think about and approach work?
3: Um, well, Kate, let me answer that in two ways. One, I think that if this really happens, we we have to recognize that there are that There are multiple kinds of flexibility, and and we tend to think of it um, in all the work that that I've been doing and supporting others to do as flexibility being in three buckets. So there's the first bucket, which is day-to-day flexibility, and I've talked a lot about that. It's the ability to continue to work full-time but to have more flexibility about when you start your days, how many hours you work, where you work, if you're going to work in the office, if you're going to work at home, and what combination thereof. So most people don't work at home five days a week unless they own a business, they work at home some days and in the office some days. So that's day-to-day flexibility. And then there is time-off flexibility. And there's short-term time-off, such as paid sick days for people. There's longer-term time-off, such as we've had since the mid-'90s, of the Family Medical Leave Act. And there's a major um, effort afoot in our country to have it be paid family leave. And then there's career flexibility. Uh, And by that, I mean the, the conventional notion of a career, at least in the professions, is you get on sometime in your 20s and it's a straight line trajectory and you get off in somewhere in your 60s. And the reality is, for most people, their careers are much more jagged. And by that, I mean it graphically, not emotionally. I mean, they may accelerate, then they may plateau. They may need to step out for, you know, a few weeks or in some cases a year for health or family reasons. They may come back on, plateau, accelerate. In other words, we have to think of people's careers as really being much more, we have to be much more realistic about what those careers look like and step back from this template of it's just a straight line trajectory that's unforgiving, and you don't have any opportunity except to go flat out every day, day in and day out. So there are three kinds of that flexibility. Of flexibility, And they all can collectively have a major impact on how work is done. And this has been brought home to me by so many stories that I've heard from different people. And, and one that I, I particularly remember was a single mother. had She had two children, ages five and seven. She worked at a nursing home that had rigid hours, and she had to be at the nursing home at 8 a.m. And if she was late, she would be docked. And after being docked a few times, she could be fired. As a single mother, she couldn't risk that. Her kids, on the other hand, both quite young, had to be at school at 8 o'clock, and the school was in the opposite direction from the, her workplace. So every morning, she, she told us that she would take her kids to the public uh, bus stop, and she would cry because she knew she was putting her 5-year-old in the care of her 7-year-old, and they were going to take that bus to school by themselves because she had to get on a bus in the opposite direction to go to work. If there was any way, she could have clocked in at 8.20, or even 8.30, she could have taken her kids to school and gotten to work and been on time and showed up really ready to work. As it was, she was getting to work a nervous wreck, like, did my kids make it? You know, are they safe? Are they in school? And so rather than starting her day fresh and focused, she was starting her day distracted and worried. And those kinds of of cases, to me, and, and stories just really bring home the point that, for most people, the kind of flexibility that would make a profound difference in their life is a small thing. It's not a big thing. Was there any reason why she couldn't you know, punch the clock at 8.20 and punch out at 3.20 or 4.20, whatever was her normal day, as opposed to just at 3.? Um, and, and it could have actually provided more coverage during the changeover from one shift to another. So I think that there are a lot of stories like this and, and they're not just stories about working mothers. I mean in the disability community, a leading advocate who is um, has a disability himself has said if we could get flexibility in the workplace, it would be the most radical thing that could be done for the, the disability community. Because right now when they ask for flexibility it's seen as a common an accommodation and so they're being singled out. When if in fact this became the the level playing field for everyone, then they and everyone else would Have the option of working more flexibly.
1: I was thinking about Kathleen, the the power of the stories that you just told, and I was thinking about the way that the um, that single mother putting her kids in the city bus. You know that how that twenty minutes could make such a difference. And we tend to kind of conflate these issues into these big, you know, policies. And yet, what you're saying is small accommodations and maybe the policy of appropriate small accommodations could really could really really help. Um, I wonder, Kathleen, you know the um, so often I worked for many years in, in a strategy consulting firm, and I understand the challenges that businesses face. And I know that to really convince an organization to make accommodations, there needs to be a very strong business case for that. You need to be able to show that it will work, that it won't result in less productivity. Has a business case been made on flexible work? Can you speak about that?
3: Yeah, that's a really interesting question because, in fact, what we really worked uh, on doing from the... Early 2000s to now is reframing flexibility away from being seen as an accommodation, something that's nice to do for someone, um, to the fact of being a strategic business tool. And there have been case study, there have been studies done that make that business case. Um, there's a, a very um, you know a, a very well done study on telecommuting that was done by a Stanford University business professor um, that basically showed the the benefits of telecommuting and typically on a part time basis in terms of reducing costs, increasing engagement increasing productivity. But the reality is that for most businesses, they don't want a global business case. They want to be able to see for themselves it's working for themselves. So at the beginning, that's where leadership is really important because someone has to step in and say, "Let's try this. Let's try it on a pilot basis. We'll do it for two or three months, and we'll see if it works." And and in most cases, what I've seen is it does work, and they continue it, and then they begin documenting uh, what they see. as the advantages, or if there are disadvantages to working in this way, um, and once they begin to see the advantages, then they can tweak it. And so, maybe it's like you know, um, agreeing for someone to work at home two days a week, not four days a week.
1: hmm You know, one of the things I hear sometimes in in organizational life is, well, we're worried about you know, we're worried about setting a precedent. About letting this person do it, and then having to do it for everybody, or you know if we let the women do it, why wouldn't we let the men do it? you know so this right. concern about precedent setting can really interfere with this kind of piloting how do you How do you cope with that? Well, I think
3: in fact, one of the ways to cope with it is to um, minimize the investment and from The firm's perspective of the risk. And so that's where pilots actually can be effective. It's like we're not making a wholesale investment in everyone working flexibility from day one. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to pilot, let's say in this unit, um, telecommuting. And we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. um, And we'll let people do it one day a week and we'll do it for three months and then we'll evaluate it. That then puts everyone on notice that the firm is looking into it, not that they're committed to it, not that they're going to to do anything for everyone, um but that it's you know it's something that's being looked at. The other thing that I've seen makes a difference is when it's quite clear from the outset that flexibility is not the same thing for everyone, but it may be something for everyone. So that if someone is working at, you know, the reception desk, unless this is a company that's going to outsource it from India, which has happened, um, you know, that person may not be able to telecommute. But maybe they could work, flex you know, on a flex time schedule. So mm-hmm. it, it has to really be looked at in terms of what's the nature of the work, what's the, what are the demands of the work. And what's the nature of the workforce and what might make sense, but let's start small and let's just see, you know, basically put our toe in the water and see if, you know, if this makes sense for us to do.
1: You know, you you mentioned that, you know, this is really a strategic choice, that the the work of uh, your work over the years and the work of many has been to really shift away from thinking of um, flexible work as a special accommodation and think about it much more as a strategic approach to business and, and organizational uh, life. And I, I wonder, you know, if you could, we only have a minute before the break, unfortunately, but if you could just say a little bit more about um, how flexible work equals business success over the long run?
3: Well, I think that for most companies, their most important asset is is their workforce. And if they've got a workforce who wants to get up every day and come into work and be excited about being there, and even if not excited, be committed to being there, then they are making a major investment that's going to pay off for them in a variety of ways
1: fantastic I love I love how succinct you were given the short time we had and I think you really hit the nail on the head in saying you know as, uh, our, our people are our most important asset and so looking at this um, issue could really put you ahead and I do know that there are a lot of firms out there who are very proud of the flexible policies that they've created and how well they're working maybe we'll talk a bit more about those examples when we come back from the break this is Kate Abner I'm talking with my guest Dr. Kathleen Christensen we'll be right back
2: save on your prescriptions with the rx savings plus drug discount card offered by voice america it is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies but nine out of ten pharmacies participate nationwide start saving today print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362 do you want to take your organization to the next level The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com.
0: Think of the world 50 years ago up-to-date business and financial news call now and get the financial information you need 866-472-5790 866-472-5790 the experts are here voice america business network
2: you're listening to visionary leader extraordinary life with host kate emner We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program.
1: Thank you for joining me today on Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Kate Ebner, and today we've been diving deep into the question of how work is changing and specifically how, how the possibility of working flexibly um, may be growing for individuals and also as a strategic choice organizations can make. My guest, Dr. Kathleen Christensen, is the premier expert in this field. She was awarded the inaugural Work-Life Legacy Award by the Families and Work Institute in 2004 for her role. In founding the work life field, Kathleen, we've been talking now for a good forty five minutes about um this trend toward more flexible approaches to work um and I know that there are probably people listening out there who are who are hearing some of these ideas for the first time or maybe who haven't seen the opportunities that you've been describing. Um, would you like to just comment on on how this trend you know is is taking shape, and any thoughts you have for those folks?
3: Sure. I think what what has struck me in the uh, almost 30 I guess just about 30 years that I've been looking at these issues is the degree to which people still see the challenges they face in addressing work and family needs as private problems problems they've got to solve on their own and they don't talk about them and they they feel like if they don't solve them on their own that they're in effect a failure, that something is that something's wrong with them. When in fact what I think is really needed in our society at this point is to elevate this conversation away from it being individual problems with private solutions to really being a public problem with public solutions. And by public I'm not necessarily saying straight policy federal or state or local policy I'm saying that there needs to be a public consciousness around the need to take these private concerns and and have our society hold up a mirror and say these are very public concerns because if we added up the millions and millions of people with private concerns and challenges around work and family we have a major whopping public uh, issue and it's not yet on the public agenda we don't see our politicians addressing it we don't see this being covered by and large on, in our media on a day-to-day basis and yet I feel deeply that there is a profound desire on the part of, of Americans to really talk about these issues, and I see evidence of that in the last year, um, starting with Anne-Marie Slaughter's piece in The Atlantic, um, in which she said why women can't have it all. She posed that question, And, and her response is one that I definitely relate to, which is, we need more institutional supports. We need workplaces that provide more flexibility. We may need policies that provide you know, compensation if people have to take a leave for family reasons. Um, and within days, she had a million hits on her article. Um, that was followed by the book uh, that Cheryl Sandberg did on Lean In, which took a complementary perspective, but was one in which women should lean in. They should claim a place at the table, and they should do it, um, and they should marry a, a partner who is going to be supportive. Um, and then the third real kind of third rail. Uh, person in the last year was Marissa Myers who uh, for very clear and understandable business reasons said telecommuting isn't going to work now for Yahoo. Each of these women in effect catalyzed a major public reaction which to me said people want and need to talk about it. So while most of our conversation today has really focused at more of what I would consider the micro level of the individual employee in the individual firm I feel we're on the cusp of there being much more public attention, that there is the, the groundswell of support for more of a public movement to create awareness around issues of work and family, to create awareness and education around the role of flexibility in creating effective workplaces that better meet the needs of, of working parents as well as all employees across the life course. So I think it's really important. That we capitalize and leverage on this public will to discuss this, and very collectively try and and figure out what are the solutions, uh, the White House recognizes this; uh, they just announced uh, two weeks ago that the president is going to convene a summit on work and family in the spring of two thousand and fourteen, so Within six to, to eight short months from now. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to see, I think, more efforts afoot to really make these public issues.
1: Kathleen, what is at stake with these issues?
3: I think what's at stake is the well-being of our society. I think people are just being really torn right now. I funded over $130 million of research on working families beginning in the mid-'90s, not I, but the Sloan Foundation. And what became very clear, at least for middle-class families that have resources, is that the biggest Uh, famine that they experience is a time famine. They simply don't feel they have enough time uh, for all the different aspects of their life, and they feel that that, uh, those different aspects of their life, work, children, um, uh, leisure, exercise, uh, are suffering as a result of not having enough time. And when individuals show up at work exhausted, not sleeping well, um, they're not bringing their best game to the workplace either.
1: You know, that's such a that's that's I really appreciate the answer that you just gave, and and the the points that you've been making about what's really needing to happen at the macro level. It brings me back to a comment you made earlier in the hour about, you know, not just redefining the way work works, but actually maybe redefining um, how we see the role of work in a successful life. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you'd like to comment on that.
3: Well, I think you know, I, I've firmly believe everyone has to make their own choices about the role of work. For some people, it's very tied to their identity, and it's it's immensely gratifying and satisfying. For other people, it's something that's endured, and one has to do in order to, you know, uh, make sure that the, the rent's paid and the, and food's on the table. So I think, everyone's really got to come to terms with the role of work Um, but you know as as Freud said there are two major forces in people's lives, work and love. And I think that in a society in which uh long work hours um, have become the norm where there's an increasing permeability between uh work and personal lives because people are so tethered to technology. They've got their their smartphones with them all the time. They now have iPads and 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 laptops with them all the time that um You know, that that work is crowding out other aspects of their lives, and I think people want a rebalancing at this point. Nothing is ever balanced perfectly. I don't like the notion of balance, but I do think that there needs to be a recalibration about, for many people about um, how their energies go into work, um, how they can be channeled most effectively, and how their energies go into other spheres of their life.
1: I would love to... um I would love to let our listeners find ways to follow the work that you're doing and also maybe just to, to, um, to support the trend, you know, to support this idea of a movement that you've introduced to us today, a movement toward a more flexible workplace. What do you recommend for those who are interested in staying with this issue?
3: Um, I, I would welcome them to stay with it. Um, I think that there are uh, a couple. Uh, possibilities for people to stay engaged and hopefully in the very near future there will be another major opportunity. Uh, At the Sloan Foundation we have supported the efforts towards building much more of a national initiative around workplace flexibility. We're in the midst of of laying the groundwork for that and hope and intend to launch that in, uh, in 2014 closer to the early to mid part of the year and that is going to have have as its primary goal, uh, really setting up the conditions for making workplace flexibility the standard of the American workplace. So I would encourage people to I, to um, watch for my blog on Huffington Post. I will be, as we're going public, really describing that in much greater detail and um, and that's probably the best way for now because then I can also provide an email where people can, uh, send in their, their names and their addresses and indicate their support. Fantastic. Um, and and mm-hmm. there's a, a, an effort now that's just being launched on work that's fle- called work flexibility, and they're trying to to raise a million people in support of work flexibility. And so if you go, it's a, a Facebook effort. If you go on that, um, it's a small ask. It's just saying you like work flexibility, and one can do that. But well, um, we'll
1: we'll, uh, we'll participate in that with our company actually, Kathleen. And I know we're we're at, we're at the end of our hour right now, um, unfortunately. I feel we're gaining momentum as the hour goes you know, more excitement as, as listening to you um, I want to just say thank you very much for joining us with this important topic this morning um, my guest today has been Dr. Kathleen Christensen of the Sloan Foundation um, this has been Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life Kathleen thank you for being with me
3: Thank you Kate
2: We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.